Hey, welcome to the She Heard podcast hosted by author and speaker Laurie Green Westlake. On the She Heard podcast, we cover everything from a woman's role in the church to deep and unexpected dives into your favorite Bible heroes. Laurie's passion is to equip women with courage, boldness, and bravery through biblical study and inspiring narrative. Be sure to check out lauriegreenwestlake.com for additional resources. Welcome to the show. Hey, Laurie here, and it's so great to be with everyone this afternoon. I've really looked forward to sharing with you today. I've got an amazing parable I want to take a look at. But first, let me remind you of just a couple of housekeeping things. We are planning a retreat for women on June 3rd in Albuquerque, New Mexico. It will be held at Vertical Church. It's an all-day retreat, and we will have several speakers, devotionals, worship time, discussion opportunities, prayer time. This will be the third retreat, one-day retreat that I've been privileged to be a part of, and the other two were fabulous. We had such an amazing outpouring of the Spirit among the women there, and we challenge each other. And we walk away being on fire and ready for the battle. So again, that is June 3rd here in Albuquerque, beautiful Albuquerque, New Mexico. And we will be at Vertical Church. Registration for the event is on my website at Lake. Dot com And you can go to the live tab on the front page and it will take you to the page there with a link to the registration. The name of the event is Brave Enough. Brave Enough to serve, to lead, and to make a difference. And that's what we are all about. Those of us women that are moving into our easer woman roles, our warrior roles. Well, today I worked on a blog and it is on the website and I encourage you to go take a look at it. But it's about the quote that Jesus actually makes a couple of times and we'll we'll run across it in tonight's um, agenda. But he says, no one knows the time or the hour of his return. When I was writing this blog, I was addressing that. And of course, because that is said in the parable of the 10 virgins that he tells to his disciples, it really got me looking at that parable again. And I found some things that just seemed new to me, fresh to me. Doesn't that happen sometimes when you're going through the Word and you see something familiar? Maybe you've highlighted that passage or that chapter and made some notes and you're going through and you see it and you read it again and it's all new and it's all fresh with new revelation. That is why the Word of God is called the living Word of God, because it is living and active and able to divide. And that is why we must be full of the Word of God in these really 
odd, wonky, weird times when everything seems to be going awry. Now, as we go into talking about this particular parable, the parable of the ten virgins, I don't want anyone to think I'm a date setter because I'm not. I do do believe, and you will see towards the end of our podcast this afternoon, you will see that it doesn't matter if we think the Lord is going to return tomorrow or the next day or in five years or in 10. There are commands that of things we are to be doing while we are waiting for his return. And we are to, there is work to be done. And so uh, don't, I don't want anyone to take that I am forecasting. I certainly am not, although I am watching. So to start, I want to read this parable of the ten virgins, and it's found in Matthew 25. I'll be starting with verse 1, and I will go to verse 13. So let me read that for us. Then the kingdom of heaven will be comparable to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the groom. Five of them were foolish, and five were prudent. For when the foolish took their lamps, they did not take extra oil with them. But the prudent ones took oil in flask with their lamps. Now while the groom was delaying, they all became drowsy and began to sleep. But at midnight, there finally was a shout, Behold the groom! Come out and meet him! Then all those virgins got up and trimmed their lamps. But the foolish virgins said to the prudent ones, Give us some of your oil, because our lamps are going out. However, the prudent ones answered, No, there most certainly would not be enough for us and you too. Go instead to the merchants and buy some for yourselves. But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the groom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding feast, and the door was shut. Yet later, the other virgins also came, saying, Lord, Lord, open for us. But he answered, Truly I say to you, I do not know you. Be on the alert then, because you do not know the day nor the hour. I have read in my time as a a Christian studying the Word, I've read a lot of different commentaries on these passages about the virgins and what is really going on here. And my summation or my conclusion that we're going to talk about tonight may be a little oversimplified, but it's just what resonates with me. It's how it has landed in me. And I trust that the Holy Spirit in me is teaching me what I need to know and guiding me where I need to go, because that is the promise that Christ gave us through the Holy Spirit. So here we go. Let's let's take these patch passages apart. Let's unpack them a little bit. Well, at the beginning of this parable, Jesus says, at that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like. Now, remember, he's talking to his disciples. And so he says, at that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like. To fully understand what Jesus is saying to us through this parable, we need to know what that time refers to. Again, at that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like. Well, what time? We need to consider this parable in the context 
of what Christ was doing and who he addressed at the time. We should always go backwards and read, move forward and read, so that whatever verses or passages we are studying, we keep them in context. And the context of this parable that he was telling is following the discourse of Matthew 24. Matthew 24 is without doubt, one of the most studied chapters of prophecy in the New Testament. Throughout this chapter, Christ answers two questions. His disciples came to him with two different questions, and they said the first question was, tell us, they said, when will this happen? And he had just spoken of the temple being torn down. And then their second question was, And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? So, for 48 verses, 48 verses, Christ begins to tell his disciples while they are standing there in front of the temple what the signs of his coming and the end of signs of the end of the age would be. He gives them literal signs. And these things should be recognizable as the times change and earth prepares for Christ's return. Probably some of the things that he was saying felt a little foreign, and some of the things probably felt very familiar, but they're relevant for us today. After he tells all these signs, and I encourage you to go back and read. I I think every podcast I'm going, go read Matthew 24, see if this doesn't sound familiar because some of this stuff is happening. And yes, some of this stuff has been happening for 2,000 years, but we do seem to be speeding up. And when you read Matthew 24, I think you'll get a sense of that. But these, the after he gives these signs, then he tells two parables the parable of the fig tree and the parable of the faithful and wise servant. Then the last parable in chapter 24 is the parable of this faithful and wise servant. And it is the story of a devoted and watchful servant that is compared to a reckless and I'll say uninterested servant. These two different servants are compared to one another. And Jesus contrasts them as if saying, we must be the wise and devoted servant. Then he tells the 10 virgin story, and it's another comparison. One that um, contrasts those who are ready and watchful compared to those who have slacked off and have found themselves ill-equipped for the coming wedding March. Now, before we go on, I think it's important to understand that Jesus is, he is the embodiment of grace. We experience that grace in these signs of the times verses in both Matthew 24 and the parables in Matthew 25. Though we're told he comes like a thief in the night, and no one will know what that exact hour is, the plan of his return in his grace includes warnings, flags, and literal events that tell us the season, or as it's said in Luke, the generation or the era of his return. 
The gracious point that I'm telling you that he's so full of grace, the gracious point of the signs and the parables is to have us prepare. You and me be prepared. We are his beloved bride, and we need to be prepared for his glorious coming. It's our heads up moment. It's our onset of labor pains. The anticipated birth of new life. This beautiful time of preparation is truly grace upon grace on on Christ's part. He's he's telling us not the hour or the time that he will come, but as I said, the generation, the season, the error, so that we can be ready. So back to this parable. In the parable. At the most basic of interpretations, we see this fact, this fact. The wise virgins had the opportunity to buy and save their oil for the coming bridegroom. The unwise virgins had had the same opportunity to purchase oil, but they did not until it was too late. The groom had arrived and taken the honored guest into the wedding, while the five unwise and scrambling virgins went to make their purchases. Whoa. (laughs) That's, there's ten virgins. Half of them are scrambling to get that all. All ten women were invited to hold positions of honor at the wedding. Invited being the operative word, and all ten anticipated the ceremony and the coming groom. All ten knew that there would be a day when the groom would come for the wedding. But only five of these virgins understood that at the time of the groom's return, it was near. Only five understood it was close, and only five were found prepared with their oil when he came. Okay, so what is this oil? I personally believe the oil is a symbol of the Holy the Holy Spirit. And if you go back to Leviticus 2 and read verses 1 through 2, you'll see that the oil is to be burned in front of the altar 24-7. And then if you jump to Revelation, you'll see that there are the seven spirits of uh, God are before the throne, before the altar. So there's a correlation here. And this is a parable, so we look for metaphors. And I believe that the oil is a metaphor for the Holy Spirit. So let's talk about the metaphor of the wedding, the coming bridegroom. Why is he called the bridegroom? Why do we know that there is a ceremony and how are we to be ready? Well, in biblical times, after a couple became engaged, and actually an engagement meant that they were legally married by a covenant already, but they hadn't had the ceremony. A bridegroom would, after the engagement dinner, where he accepted uh, what the father was offering for his daughter, and there would be a ceremony, and the bride would do some things to indicate she was a go (laughs) with the arrangement. And after that, the groom would go. He would actually stand up at the table and say, I go to prepare a place for you. 
and he would go and build a home onto his father's house for his bride and their future family. And he would not return. The bride would not see this groom. He would not come to the house for date night. He wouldn't stop by for dinner. She became veiled so that everyone would know that she's engaged and they would stay apart until this magical moment when the groom's best man blew the shofar of the sacrifice they had made when he became engaged and it was traditionally at midnight. But while the groom would be away and if he was a wealthy fellow building a large Uh, appendix to his father's house he would be gone a long time if he was back shortly that meant (laughs) meant she was probably in a mud hut but what would the bride be doing in this absence time she would be preparing herself through purification and also beautification beautification for the upcoming wedding day she also selected bridesmaids which were would all be virgins and these bridesmaids would put oil in their lamps and put these lamps in the windows of their homes. So when the groom came, and as I said, it was traditionally at midnight, so it would be dark, he would see where the bridesmaids were. He would wind through the streets, stop at the houses where these lamps were lit, collect the bridesmaids, and end up after collecting this wedding party at the bride's house. At that time, he would take her. Now, she kn- she's known to jump up in the night and put her dress on because she's heard the co- commotion in the streets. And she heard that shofar go off at midnight because you know what? She's been listening for it. She's been hoping for it. She's been hanging her lovesick head out the window of her bedroom every night, looking to the hills, wondering if this is the night her groom's her groom comes for her. So he picks her up with all the bridesmaids, and they collect the rest of the wedding party, and they party, and they head to the groom's father's house. He would see every person that was invited to the wedding based on those lighted lamps. Now, to kind of pull this together, I think it's important to say that there are some who consider this parable to be a warning for those who believe they are saved, but have yet to truly comprehend what that means, or who have been unwilling to pay the cost to follow Christ. In other words, there, one commentary described it this way, that there are people who are showing up to church every Sunday and understand the obligatory parts of the Christian faith, but have never truly accepted the faith, have never become faithful to Christ and believe in what he did. And so this... This conclusion may be true, but I believe the timely point of the Ten Virgins parable is to ask ourselves this one question, because that's really not my place to judge if someone's been saved or not. But here is this one question. This is what applies to you and me. We don't need to worry about what happened to the five that were unwise. We need to just make sure we are the half 
that get it right. And so we ask ourselves this one question. Are we burning with passion as we anticipate the coming of our groom? Are we preparing ourselves as the bride did back in biblical times? And are we hanging our lovesick heads out our windows, looking to the starry skies with a sigh and saying, is this the night my beloved comes for me? You know, in John 16, we are told that Jesus said there were many things he wanted to tell his disciples, but that they were not ready yet, that they they couldn't bear yet what he had to say. And so what was he waiting on? He was waiting on the Holy Spirit. And as we know, on the day of Pentecost, it came. And he told them, he told his disciples to wait, that he was sending the Holy Spirit. And it was once the Holy Spirit was inside of them, they were able to accept the many things, the quote-unquote many things that Jesus said he couldn't tell, which With time and after Paul being discipled by Christ himself, Paul begins to reveal us these phenomenal mysteries of Jesus Christ. So back to that question, if you are burning with passion for the Lord, if your answer to that was yes, then I imagine that you are a true born-again believer who fully grasps the overwhelming glory that is soon to come. You're looking past the troubles of this world, and you are looking to the coming kingdom. Now, if your answer was no to that question, then we need to get you some oil. And the way you do that is you become a believer, because as a believer, when you accept Jesus Christ as the Son of God, who sacrificed himself on a cross to atone for your sins, to forgive you of your sins, you need to do that. And there's there's a really easy way to do that. You can, and I'm I'm borrowing this really simple explanation of salvation from a pastor named J.D. Farag of a Calvary chapel in Hawaii. He calls it the ABCs of salvation. A, admit you're a sinner. B, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And C, call upon his name for salvation. And if you do this, or maybe you just did, then welcome to the kingdom and welcome to a beautiful future. You'll be in the wedding march on the day he returns for us. If not before, then I will see you there. And I'm very excited about that. Because when you have the Holy Spirit, your lamp will be lit. Because the Holy Spirit will be teaching and guiding you in all things. Okay, that's my oversimplified sort of deep, maybe it really wasn't shallow, look into the parable of the ten virgins. I hope it blessed you. It's something to ponder and think about. Go back and read it for yourself. It's in Matthew 25. So until the next time, love to everybody. I so enjoy being with you. Love having these discussions. And if you want to contact me and send me an email, you can get my email on my website at lauriegreenwestlake.com. Be blessed and have a stupendous rest of your day. Bye now.